to head on goal, and Jordan Morris has done it. Appealing in vain for offside, the Chicago Fire defenders. Jordan Morris from the doorstep saves the day for the Sounders. the other way. Look who's running hard after defensively. Wayne Rooney, the net is empty. Big collision by the captain. That is unbelievable effort. Rooney putting one up. Bacosta. The Stateside Soccer Show with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome to the Stateside Soccer Show. My name is Jordan Wiegand and as always, I am joined by Logan Stump. O-C-S-C, season ticket holder, Logan Stump. Yes, oh, yes, me. I should have I should have added That's that. Not, that made me sound pompous. I'm so sorry. I didn't. <laughs> Gosh. So uh, we are here to break down LAFC today. Uh, and uh, we're also going to talk a little Angel City FC, the NWSL team that's launching in 2022. And we talk a little bit about uh, the She Believes Cup. Uh, but Logan, we we said this on our Saturday episode, but uh, who do we have and where are they from? Yeah, so we have Alicia Rodriguez who covers – let me get this right. <laughs> she covers a lot of things. Uh, she said anything that's soccer in uh, California, she covers. I know the Sacramento Rep- Republic. Yeah, even she, the Republic. Right. Um, she's covering Orange County, I think I see, uh, is what they're called. I don't. I hope I'm not getting that wrong. Um, she I should co- have asked her, but I, I, I wonder if that means she covers the San Diego Loyal, too. Oh, that, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. That would be interesting next time we have her back on. Um we, she covers obviously LAFC. She covers LA Galaxy. She's covering the NWSL um, with the Angel City, um, which is I always get them. I want to say City of Angels for some reason because it is City of Angels. That's what it means, right? Right. Los Angeles means. So yeah. So <laughs> thanks, um, Angel. You're welcome. <laughs> Angel City, um, the uh, football club that's coming there in 2022. But she can be found on SB Nation. She covers um I, pretty much everything the clippers i know she covers she covers uh the angels um angel city she covers lafc over there la galaxy it's called uh, angels on parade so if you want to find the sb nation version of um the lafc people that's where you'll find that um and i know she covers pretty much everything all of her articles are over there because that's um, she's basically the only writer, it looks like. So she is a very busy, busy woman um, and just uh, does a really nice job with all of it. it. I can't believe that she gave us a, a good, you know, 45, 50 minute interview <laughs> because she is so busy. Yeah. And uh, if you want to follow her, that's at Soccer Musings 
on Twitter and we'll be uh, so let's go ahead and welcome her in now. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. The Stateside Soccer Show, talking the beautiful game in the land of the free. Breaking down Major League Soccer, U.S. Men's National Team, and more with Logan and Jordan. Hello and welcome back to Stateside Soccer Show. And we have a special guest here today with uh, Alicia Rodriguez. Hey guys, how's it going? It's going good. Thank you for coming on. Of course. Um, so, uh, if you just want to kind of give our listeners some background on, you know, when you started, you know, uh, covering soccer, uh, when you started covering LAFC and, uh, cause it seems like you actually cover so many sports and so many teams, uh, there for SB nation. Sure. Uh, I've been covering soccer for 10 years now, uh, started covering MLS in 2011, um, and I happened to hook up with SB Nation that year as well. Um, I started for another site first and then I ended up moving over to SB Nation. Um, I've been covering uh, LAFC since the moment they were announced in 2014. Um, but before that I covered Chivas USA, which was the prior uh, other MLS team in Los Angeles. And then I was running the site, the SB Nation site there and then, of course, that team went out of business, so I uh, started covering LAFC. Um, and then we kept the site around uh, through the three years while we were waiting for LAFC to launch. And we rebranded re the site. Uh, it's currently angelsonparade.com. And, um, yeah, so I've been at it, uh, obviously, three seasons of action so far, but uh, a long run-up uh, from my perspective coming into that. And then. Um, Right now I'm working for SB Nation full-time. Um, I've been doing that for a year. And basically these days, what I do is I cover soccer in California. Um, so I'm covering all of the MLS teams for the team sites uh, devoted to each of the, the clubs. I'm also covering Sacramento Republic. We have a Sac Republic site. Um, I cover some of the other USL teams um, in the area you know, in the, in the same markets as, as uh, some of the MLS teams. Um, and then uh, occasionally I chip in with other coverage as well. I uh, have been doing Clippers coverage this year um, over on the Clippers site on uh, SB Nation. But uh, I, I have been doing some dedicated coverage too on the basketball front, but for the most part, I cover soccer. So uh, <laughs> if, it's Cal if it's soccer in California, then I'm most likely covering it uh, somewhere <laughs> around the network. I was going to say, I was reading through, because, you know, going through and previewing some of these teams, I'm reading through LA Galaxy, you know, reading through different sites. And I'm like, man, she's attached to every single one of these articles and she covers basketball. And I know you're tweeting about basketball and soccer getting ready to collide with everything going on and uh, the new team coming in next year. Um, just all at once it seems and it seems like everything that you were attached to it was just all over the place which is really cool yeah it's keeping me busy so i can't complain uh <laughs> i have a job right. so right. i have no complaints right. about that exactly. um it, it makes for some busy nights let's let's uh be honest but uh you know i'm doing something i love doing so i i'm happy to have those time crunches and um you know juggling several games in a night is if that's the price i have to pay then i'm willing to pay it 
Yeah, well, we really appreciate having you on because it's it sounds busy. So just, I appreciate your Saturday <laughs> being used to, to talk to us about some soccer. No worries. I'm always happy to do it. So uh, I guess I have some just general questions here about um, the team as a whole here. Uh, so, you know, for me, Bob Bradley is one of the best American coaches of all time. He's won a supporter shield already uh, for LAFC and led LAFC to the Champions League final uh, this past December. Uh, but MLS success is usually measured by MLS Cup wins, and they've had some you know, rough games against the Sounders in the playoffs. Um, what will it take to get this team kind of over that hump? And since LA is kind of a city about titles, is there any frustration growing in the fan bases uh, or – higher up or anything about maybe making a coaching change because that would be a shame. Well, I think there's always uh, fans who have unrealistic expectations or those who don't necessarily kind of understand what um, the realities are, I guess, of, of what's happening in MLS. So is there ever, you know, is it, is it unanimous that everybody loves Bob? No, but I think certainly within the club, it's unanimous. Um, And I think a a huge proportion of the fan base uh, does support him. Um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's a coach who has a proven track record, um, both in MLS and and outside. And, you know, he's the person who was kind of the pioneer for the likes of Jesse Marsh, who, you know, is out, uh, now in Europe trying to kind of, um, you know, really forge a path for American coaches, uh, you know, abroad, especially in Europe. Um, you know, Bob was the one who came first and, and, um, I think one of the big things is, you know, when Bob led the U.S. national team, there became a, a style of play that I think people kind of got really grumpy about and, and weren't really that keen on. And, and one of the big transformations that's happened in the meantime is as he went all over the world and coached different um, clubs and national teams and, and kind of, you know, got to hone his approach. You know, he had some time away from the game as well in that spell in that spell. Um, I think he really honed in on what kind of style he wants to play. And I think one of the the cool things about um, Bob is that, you know, he was known for this kind of dour style of play with the national team. And, you know, LAFC definitely does not play that way. You know, they play like pedal to the metal. You know, if you score three goals, we're going to score five goals. And I think there are people who definitely don't think that that's a title winning um, strategy. And, you know, those kind of coaches, I think, do have, uh, they are kind of swimming upstream sometimes when when you have that approach, because generally speaking, it, you know, coaches who kind of uh, lock it up in the back first and foremost, and then, you know, work on uh, attack from there, you know, they often do find success. But I think one of the things he's trying to do is, is to kind of expand the paradigm a little bit in MLS, um, show that there are multiple ways that you can win um, and he's not the only one who's doing that. There are different styles, but, you know, one of the things that I've learned over the, the decade that I have covered the league is that there is a diversity of styles now in, in terms of play in this league that we didn't have at that point when I started. And it's great to see, like, that's what you want to see is, is to see, is this defensive approach going to uh, counteract the, you know, running gun style of LAFC or is LAFC going to run over it? And, you know, seeing those kinds of matchups, I think is, is really cool. Um, so yeah, so within LAFC, I don't think, uh, Bob has any worries about his job security. And I think by and large, people are, are really supportive of what he's doing. 
Um, even though there are moments where, you know, when they're shipping goals, um, at times it's sort of like, wow, this is pretty frustrating. But I also think that there is something to um, appreciate about him wanting to stick to his style and, um, you know, really wanting to make sure that he, you know, he can accomplish it. And they won the supporter shield. So they have won something, but yeah, I mean, we'll have to see coming, you know, moving forward with knockout tournaments, if they can kind of get over the hump and, and eventually uh, get one of those, those knockout titles, like a, an open cup, a MLS cup, a champions league, something like that. Yeah. And I think, you know, reading and looking at different things from last year and then watching some of the moves that they've made this off season, I definitely want to talk first about the defense because it seems like Bradley and the ownership, one of their key things this year was to go in and add maybe some depth in that defensive um, uh, back line, just because it, it seems that with Zimmerman leaving, uh, it left a big gaping hole back there. Um, and, you know, going through last year, they were trying to find solutions to that trade being made when he was shipped off into Nashville. Um, I guess my question for you, you wrote a lot about Tristan Blackman and you wrote, a really nice piece about him just just kind of finding his feet for LAFC. He, he really gained the confidence of Bradley, and especially because, uh, and you wrote this too, that you said that it was um, nice to see Tristan get in when he was not starting at um, center back. He was playing some right back. He's versatile. Bradley seemed to be choosing him. Uh, and when they got to CCL, they, he was being chosen for that starting 11. Um but then they go out and they sign some people in the offseason. So I wanted to ask you, do you think that that Tristan is going to get one of those starting 11 roles, uh, maybe as a center back or a right back? Because I know it's pretty clogged up back there. Um, and then what is that battle going to look like in that right back position? Well, I think uh, Tristan Blackman is somebody who's shown that he can be a starting right back. And I think he's... Um, you know, when he's healthy, he's, he's really improved in leaps and bounds over his first three seasons as a pro. Um, I think a lot of people would say, well, he's the starting right back, right? Like that, you know, <laughs> like discussion over where, you know, there's nothing else we need to do there. But in fact, um, as I wrote uh, this week, uh, the club seems to think that he's a, a center back and that he should be a center back. Um, you know, like in college, he was a right back. And so, you know, for the team to say, well, he's going to be a center back and sort of like, okay, right. I, I don't quite get it, but okay. Um, and, you know, there, there, there have been performances that, uh, from him as a center back. I, I know that in the playoffs against the galaxy, a couple of years ago, he did a really good job of, of shutting down Zlatan Ibrahimovic, which, you right. know, that's kind of the thing you want to put on your resume, right? Like <laughs> I think any, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's definitely potential there, but the, the idea of like, he needs to be a center back has been a little bit puzzling. However, I mean, one of the things that Bradley's done really well is he's coached up players and um, you know, show, like given them noticeable improvements and, and help them kind of unlock potential that um, maybe many of us didn't even realize that a lot of these players had. So I think to an extent we have to give them the benefit of the doubt. Now, as far as, um, 2021, uh, the club signed Kim Moon Hwan from uh, a club in South Korea. He's a Korean uh, right back. Um, he's been on the national team, but he's also a player who kind of um, has been a, a late bloomer to an extent. He was in the second division. Then he helped his team get promotion to the first division in the K-League. And then um, 
they had a pretty bad season, but he was like a bright spot. So I think they're pretty high on him. They said that they've been tracking him for quite a while. Um, I think it may be a, a matter of kind of seeing who emerges from that. And I don't necessarily think that one of Blackman or, or uh, Kim is necessarily locked in as a starter. I think it's going to be a competition and I wouldn't be altogether shocked if it's kind of a rotation situation either. Um, and then in the middle, we have uh, Eddie Segura, who's been pretty steady for two years and I don't expect things to really change with him. Um, and then in the fall, uh, LAFC signed Jesus David Murillo uh, out of Colombia, and he was a huge um, upgrade uh, when they really needed it. And um, so they signed him on a permanent deal in the offseason, and I think he was kind of the primary uh, transfer priority that they had anyway. And, and so getting him back, I think, is a really big deal. Um, so you have those two, and then you have Blackman. And then you have Kim, um, you know, so there's definitely going to be some numbers and I think having some competition will probably be good. One of the things that LAFC struggled with in 2020 was uh, really not having enough bodies available in defense. And, and that really came to bite them, uh, especially when the games were coming really fast. And it sounds like uh, pretty likely that there's going to be a lot of double game weeks again this year. So um, I think that that's a pretty prudent policy to kind of stock up on players, particularly players in defense, when, when you know that that's a, a little bit of a liability position. Um, you know, so if people stay healthy, I think that that's, that could be something that they really turn around in 2021. Um, but obviously, we'll have to see how things uh, shake out. Real quick, I, I just want to yeah, quick, ahead, I just want to say, uh, yeah, we kind of see that with Liverpool over in the Premier League right now when they didn't have <laughs> enough depth and then, um, you know, get all these injuries where then they had to make some buys in January. So if it is going to be these, uh, you know, Saturday, Wednesday type of situations, it would be good to kind of have all that depth. Can't go wrong with all that depth. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's a good point. Like, I mean, I, you know, you're talking about Liverpool. I think it's pretty similar for LAFC when LAFC had everyone healthy in 2019 and kind of a normal schedule, you know, things went really well and Liverpool last year until the last season, until the shutdown, things went really well for them. And then both teams went through injury crises and it was like, okay, you know, you're like, you can tell how fine the margins are when, um, you know, if you lose a key player or two, like that pretty much can make your team kind of fall apart. And, and we saw that with, you know, in, in multiple leagues, I guess. Yeah. And, and you alluded to, Kim. Um, and I know it was a big introduction for him. I know that the team did something special with the fans, I think before he was even announced to, to the public, um, that they had the fan base on, I think it was around a hundred people on, and he actually came on and actually a lot of them, uh, were of the Korean population, uh, in LA. And I know that, you know, having visited LA, it's a, it's a big uh, chunk of the population is the Asian population and, and Koreans in particular, can you speak to how big that is for the Korean population that follows the team? I know there's a supporters group that is a pretty, pretty small group, but it's a decent, you know, it's decent for um, a population that's just now getting um, in tune with the United States way of soccer. Um, can you speak to just how big of an impact he'll have on that Korean community around the Los Angeles area? Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, when you talk about signings like this, and especially if you're going to a new region that uh, typically players aren't signed with, you know, there can be kind of a cost benefit analysis. And, um, you know, we've seen in MLS and in other leagues, sometimes you see players get signed and you sort of wonder, okay, was this done mostly to sell shirts or to, you know, bring right. a player who was legit? Um, 
I think in the, this particular case, you know, they, they really sought to get a player who they think can contribute and it's not simply a marketing exercise. Um, and I'll say too, that the, the team has done a good job so far of um, kind of tapping into different uh, ethnic groups and different uh, groups in Los Angeles, you know, diasporas when they're um, doing kind of pop-up collections and um, you know, really trying to do some outreach with uh, different groups in the fan base. Like, for example, they've done uh, dedicated T-shirts to Omar Gaber, who was briefly with LAFC in their first year. He's from Egypt. They did it with Stephen Betashur, who is of Iranian heritage, and um, he uh, was an international for Iran. Um, they've done it with Lee Wynn, who's of Vietnamese heritage. You know, so like it's it's something that kind of um, connects to what they've previously done. Like I think to an extent they they kind of made this one a little bit bigger, um, mainly because Kim, you know, is being signed out of South Korea um, as opposed to being an American, you know, with uh, uh, immigrant roots, like, you know, the cases of Wynn and, and um, Beta Shore previously. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a smart thing to do on, on multiple counts. You know, it's good to have people have a connection because having that connection, I think is, is something that's really underrated. And particularly when you're talking about um, racial or ethnic groups that are underrepresented, uh, it's important to see people who look like you and to see people who are, you know, like your family um, being involved right. in something like a sports team, because that's something that um, doesn't always happen. And, and um, there's a lot of reasons why there haven't been a lot of Korean players and, MLS to date. Um, I think that there's a lot of teams around the world and including in MLS that uh, kind of rest on their laurels and don't really want to, you know, look outside their comfort zones when they're looking for players. And um, I think that's a big problem, but um, you know, part of it too is, is seeing how the player adjusts and, you know, just because you make a big promotional push around a guy that's super, but then he has to perform on the field. And if he performs on the field, then it's going to be something that's a huge hit. Um, so it's a little bit of wait and see, but I think um, you talked about the supporters group, uh, the Tigers, um, it, founded by a group of uh, Koreans and Korean Americans uh, who uh, were LAFC supporters, are LAFC supporters. Um, you know, they're, I think, a, a, a really um, great representation of the diversity of LAFC's particular supporter culture. Um, there's a lot of different supporter groups within the 3252, which is the kind of umbrella organization for the supporters um, of the club. And, you know, they were able to carve out their, their own niche. Um, there's some, they're a group that can kind of uh, reflect Korean soccer traditions. And, you know, <laughs> from experience, Korean soccer is huge and and the fans are like super passionate about that and so i think they brought something to lafc's fan base as well it's 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 been a a two-way street for sure um but it also you know they're inclusive and they also welcome people from you know all over the place uh to the group and um it's it's not insular it's it's something that you know you you kind of get a little bit of a different taste of of different soccer cultures around the world um and i think that's pretty cool and so in that way it was neat to see those factors come together, the team sign a player from a, a region that we don't typically see in MLS and, and the fans, um, you know, obviously be pretty excited that you know, one of their own <laughs> is joining up and is, right. is going to be shooting up for LAFC. 
you know, I, I thought it was just a spectacular way for a team. And, you know, I, I, I'm going back and watching um, the LAFC um, documentary on, on uh, ESPN plus and just listening to the fans um, talk how passionately or talk about uh, the team so passionately and, you know, hearing the story of at the very beginning, it, the team was, you know, trying to get some community outreach going and it didn't seem, it was kind of like falling flat on its face, but then finally players or sorry, fans started to come around. The supporters started to come around. He's got these supporter groups um, and I'm an Orlando city fan. So, uh, and, and, you know, covering some of this, it, it's fun to watch that group take Orlando and do the same thing. Um, LAFC does the same thing. It's, it's cool to see how passionate the supporters are and how much interest went into um, really getting the fans and support um, from the community at first with LAFC. It seems like they took a big, um, it, t- it seems like they took focus and really making sure that the fans uh, were behind this team hundred percent as soon as they uh, were able to get on the pitch. Yeah, it's, it's been uh, really great. I think one of the big benefits of um, LAFC to MLS overall has been um, the fan atmosphere and there are many stadiums in the league where you see fantastic atmospheres. But I think one thing that we hadn't really seen previously was having that really loud, passionate, organized um, atmosphere in LA in particular. Right. And so they brought that and, um, you know, it's, it's really great to see. And it's something that I think a lot of people say, Oh, LAFC is overhyped. I'm so sick of hearing about right. you know, that kind of thing. But it is something where you get in the stadium and you actually see the 3250 do, do the, chants and do um you know their choreographies before the game and and the way that they display tifo i think is has been an innovation of sorts too and um you know for as much as other people get sick of hearing about the club i think they've done some extremely cool things and um to experience that in person i think it's something that you, you kind of get it um after you've seen it live moving on to uh, just the goalkeepers before we move on to you know like the attack and such we have, uh, you know, Kenneth Vermeer, uh, goalkeeper, um, as well as uh, Pablo Cisniega, um, who did start the playoff match in 2020 uh, as well. Is there, uh, you know, 10, ga- 10 age, uh, 10 year age gap between the two of them? Do we have any idea on which one uh, they're actually leading towards uh, starting? I know we're just now, you know, the preseason hasn't started yet or anything, but uh, you know, I know there were some complaints, you know, from fans that I see on Twitter and such, you know, about uh, Vermeer and such. Uh, so I just wanted to see your perspective on who we should expect to line up uh, in goal. Yeah, that's a great question. And I look forward to finding out myself. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's something that, um, I, you know, to be honest, I don't know if the club necessarily has a good read on what, what's going to happen with the goalkeeper situation. Um, I've talked to a few people you know, recently. And, and one of the things that was interesting from 2020 is that I think Vermeer had some really awful games and it was pretty obvious that, uh, you know, he was, he was a step slow and that kind of thing in, in some games. And, you know, that's pretty costly over the course of the season. Um, but in the CONCACAF Champions League, uh, you know, knockouts, the, the last few games of, of that run in December, he came back in and he was really fantastic. So I think it was good because because it gave him some redemption after kind of a tough season. Um, he, he sort of showed, okay, this is why LAFC went out and got a, a veteran Dutch goalkeeper because they thought that he was going to be kind of the last piece to, to put them over the top uh, to get a title. 
it didn't quite work out that way um, in 2020. Um, at the same time, I think Cisniega has been more consistent over time. He's somebody who um, he is a really good shot stopper. I think the club is a little bit concerned about his distribution and, and playing with his feet. Um, but I think he improved in that last year. And he ended up basically taking the um, starting spot from Vermeer uh, kind of in the, the home stretch of the regular season only to get hurt slash get snarled up in, in COVID protocols late in the season. And then Vermeer had to come in anyway. So uh, there's always been a little bit of a question with uh, Cisniega as far as his fitness or not his fitness, but I guess his injury history. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's kind of one of those things, especially with goalkeepers, it's like you're hurt or you're not, <laughs> you know, and, and when it comes down to having one person in that spot, you can't really, you know, plan for, well, he's going to miss half the game. So, you know, here's what we're, you know, you kind of have to go with them or not go with them. Um, so it can be kind of tricky, but um, I, my suspicion is that probably this season is going to be pretty similar to last year and that both players will get a chance. And if one kind of emerges, then he will be the starter. And um, that may be pretty frustrating because if that's the case, then that means that there's going to be some, you know, tough losses or mistakes happening that are, going to be pretty costly and and that's not going to be really fun to watch but um at the same time I mean I think you have two goalkeepers who perhaps are starting cap uh, caliber and that's great but you may also have two goalkeepers who maybe aren't quite starting caliber and that's uh really bad so um it's a little bit of a dilemma and I think the the team is probably going to kind of roll the dice a little bit and see what happens um I I don't necessarily see Bob you know, saying uh, day one of, of preseason, you know, this guy is our goalkeeper and I'm never changing my mind. I mean, I think yeah. he's going to be pretty, pretty open and, and I wouldn't be shocked in the least if there's a lot of back and forth between the guys until one perhaps uh, emerges and, and really uh, claims that that starting spot. So we'll see. Sounds like it's going to be a battle. Um, at, you know, speaking of battling, uh, battling up top, seems to you know in the attacking side um it, it was a little bit different without uh carlos vela on the team uh the mexican international had, he scored 34 goals had 10 assists and won the mvp helped the club win the supporter shield in 2019 he comes in and then mls um and i believe he didn't play mls's back because of family reasons um and then starts out the season he gets hurt and then from the end of what is it, August till October, pretty much the whole season, uh, he misses due to that MCL injury. Um, do you think he can return to that 2019 form? And then, you know, does the team necessarily need that 2019 form? Because it does seem like a lot of the players around him got better uh, with him out. And I do think that, you know, with their progression, obviously they don't need the 34 goals. But do they need some kind of form of Carlos Vela back, you know, that one of the best, you know, midfielders in the the whole, or, you know, winger in the whole uh, MLS? Uh, I would definitely say they are better with him for sure. Um, you know, one of the things is I, I do think that Diego Rossi, uh, you know, having the mantle of being the man while Vela was out most of the season, I think was really good for him. And uh, he did win the MLS golden boot last year. So there, you know, there shows that there's um, some plan B um, if Vela is not available, which I think is, is really important for LAFC. I think kind of bigger picture when Vela moves on, it's going to be a huge undertaking to replace him. Um, you know, that that's going to be a, a major headache because I think he's been just absolutely immense. Um, 
but I think uh, he really did show how important he is um, in, in 2020. You know, when he was gone, the team struggled a lot. But when he came back, he started scoring goals almost instantly. Um, the the CONCACAF Champions League run to the final would not have happened if, if Bella was not available, right? Like he, right. he, he was uh, extremely important for that. And in particular, um, the, the Club America game where they were down 1-0 at halftime, he comes off the bench, or I'm sorry, he comes out of halftime and scores two goals uh, right away. Um, to flip the result, you know, like nobody else can do that. But uh, Rossi can't do that. Like no, no one else on that team was going to be able to do something like that. And um, he's a player who's still capable of, of game breaking plays like that, who can take a game himself and completely transform it, um, you know, in a minute or two. Uh, so he's, he's still vital. And I think as long as he stays healthy, he's going to remain vital. Uh, he's going to be playing a lot of minutes. I think uh, Bob Bradley has gotten the best out of him. You know, he's somebody who, before he came to MLS, he was dogged by these uh, whispers that he was lazy. He didn't care about soccer. He really wasn't, you know, trying hard, all that kind of thing. And and I think to an extent, he's he's admitted that he has become more mature and he has, um, you know, kind of gotten more serious over, over his career. Um, but I also think that a lot of those whispers were false and, and were kind of malicious rumors. I mean, he, at LAFC, he's been nothing but a consummate pr professional and, you know, he's somebody who you can see the fire in the games, you know, he, he really gets up for it. And, um, you know, his, his production has been uh, tremendous. So yeah, he's, he's still very much a vital player and he's very much going to be um, the first name on the team sheet uh, in 2021, you know, no question about it. Speaking of uh, injuries with uh, with Vela, um, beginning in the season, Edward Altuesta had an injury uh, as well here. Um, so he featured in 17 of the total matches for 2020. Uh, how important is he to the midfield uh, for this upcoming season? Uh, Altuesta is also very important. Um, you know, one of the things that I think LAFC has done a really good job of is building a really deep midfield. Um, you know, they play three at a time. Um, they basically have five starting caliber, uh, midfielders. So that's, you know, those are good numbers, honestly. And I think if you put any of those five in, you feel pretty good about how the team is playing. Um, but having said that, I think when Atuesta went down at the MLS's back tournament, um, he got hurt at the end of the quarterfinal against Orlando. Uh, and then he missed some time after that. Um, it was pretty huge. And then he also missed the final of, of the champions league because he got a, <laughs> a pretty bogus red card, um, in that game. And, and I think missing him, you know, he might've been that player that kind of helped push them over the top and, and not, uh, kind of fold late on in that game. Um, he, you know, he's the way that ML, uh, LAFC plays, uh, in the midfield, nobody is in kind of segmented roles. Everyone plays a two way role. Um, everyone is expected to play a very fluid game. Um, but having said that, I think it's pretty clear that over time that uh, Atuesta is the linchpin of the midfield and, and to an extent of the team overall. Um, he chips in with a few goals in a season. He's not necessarily flying around with tackles, but he's doing a little bit of everything, right? Like he's putting in some tackles, he's scoring a couple goals. Um, his passing is tremendous. And, you know, he's one of those players that you may not necessarily notice him you know, that much while you're watching a game, but he's really pulling the strings throughout. And, um, you know, he's, he's really been a great pickup for the club and um, yeah, he's, he's a player 
definitely to watch. And, and I think it's, there's a really good chance that he could be sold abroad at some point um, along with some of the other very promising uh, young players that the, the club has. Yeah. So s- switching gears a little bit, um, they made an off season acquisition that I found intriguing and we had Jordan and I actually just did the preview for RSL um, and we were covering uh, the departure of Corey Baird over there, but now we're talking about the arrival of Corey Baird. Um, I, I think when I was looking through and, and reading a lot of the RSL things, um, he had played pretty well, uh, but it just seems like he never got on the right foot over there, um, really not playing to the full potential that he could. I know a lot of the fans were kind of hard on him, um, but I think that situation was just so toxic and that environment at RSL was just so awful um, that I do actually see Corey Baird maybe being something of a steal uh, as he comes over to LAFC. Where do you think he fits into the club? Uh, and do you think that the new environment helps him reach a new level of play? Yeah, I think he's a little bit of a flyer, but, you know, like a calculated flyer, let's put it that way. Um, I, I definitely think that they uh, foresee a, a pretty big role for him, um, especially with Brian Rodriguez being out on loan in Spain right now. And chances pretty good that he will not be back. Um at any point um, that opens up a spot in the lineup. And I think, then, you know, from there that that can give Baird a, a good opportunity for some regular playing time. He'll have to compete for it, but I think, you know, he, he's not going to sit and rot on the bench necessarily. Um, but, you know, one of the things with Baird for me, he's a player that I, I've always been a little bit puzzled by in terms of um, he reminds me a little bit of Juan Agadello as basically forwards who are continually, asked to play midfield for some reason. Like, I don't understand, you know, you have a guy who can score goals and, and, you know, this, <laughs> there's like right. galaxy brain coaches <laughs> out there who, who are like, Oh, this guy's going to be a midfielder. And it's like, why, you know, he can easily yeah. score goals. Like, why are you doing this? And I, you know, to me, that's what happened with Baird is his rookie year. He was playing really close to goal and no surprise he was scoring a bunch of goals. And then, you know, from there he kept getting moved around and kind of further and further back. And I feel like if he had stayed with RSL, he would have been, you know, a fullback in a year or two and not (laughs) quite sure why, Um, you know, especially if they're so desperate for goals over there. But um, no, I think with LAFC, he's not going to be playing in midfield. He'll be in the attacking band. I think that that's probably where he wants to play and where he should be playing, you know, as somebody who can, who can be a wide forward, but can also uh, play through the middle of top, um, you know, which is what LAFC does and, and they play a really fluid way. So um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, a pickup that's not necessarily going to sell a ton of shirts or, um, <laughs> you know, be like a big marquee signing, but it may be one that, that really pays off down the line for, for the club if he can settle and, and he can kind of find a rhythm, um, you know, it could be a really good uh, arrangement for, for both sides. So we have one last LAFC question before we uh, wanted to just touch on the NWSL team uh, popping up there in LA. Um, What would be a successful season for LAFC this year? You know, they kind of finished, um, uh, was it seventh in the West? Yeah. Seventh in the West uh, last season. Uh, Obviously that's due to a lot of uh, varying factors. Um, But is it, you know, just kind of making the playoffs, maybe getting past a few rounds, getting to the final, like what would be a successful season for them? I think if there's multiple competitions on the line this year, which I expect there will be, um, I think they, the expectation is they should be raising a trophy of some sort. Um, you know, that's kind of what they've set the the bar as since they've started and they've gotten pretty close a few times. So 
Um, I definitely think it's it's within reach. Um, I think that, you know, it's, as any team is, they're a work in progress and you can see some scenarios where things will work out really well and things may not work out well at all. But um, I do definitely think that they have a really, really strong core, um, definitely one of the strongest cores in the league. Um, they, like I said before, they, they have won the supporter shield and, and now it's a matter of um, getting over the hump and, and winning a knockout tournament of some sort. Um, and, and I think they can do it. And, um, you know, making the playoffs is, is a minimum, you know, they absolutely must, if they don't make the playoffs, it's, it, that's going to be pretty bad. Uh, it's going to be a really bad season for them. Um, but if, if they make a, if they win a trophy of some sort, if, if, if they get the open cup, they're going to be thrilled with that. If, if they got MLS cup, of course they would be ecstatic. Um, another supporter shield. Sure. Sounds great. Um, I don't know if they're going to be in leagues cup. I don't know who's playing leagues cup, whatever it is, you know, if it's the mom and pop soccer trophy, like what, if it's a trophy, (laughs) you know, they want it. So um, I think that that's kind of the attitude. And I think it's, it's a reasonable one. And um, yeah, if, if they win a trophy, then it's going to be a successful season. Yes. Switching it up a little bit um, with what's going on currently uh, now that MLS is still an off season. uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on, um, so the She Believes Cup is taking place in, here in Orlando, where I am. Um, I love the idea behind the tournament, putting the women's game out there for the world to see. Uh, it broke a record, setting audience of 27 countries on Fox Sports and different, like Telemundo and different uh, stations and broadcast it to South America, some of the islands. It, it really got out there. Um, and I loved watching, you know, the match between the U.S. women's national team in Canada. Um, and, and as the camera panned, it caught the faces of a lot of the fans. Um, and I actually teach here in Orlando. So, you know, some of the girls that I have uh, taught uh, were going to the game. Um, and I just thought it was really cool watching as the young girls watch on in admiration of their idols flying all over the pitch. You know, you got Alex Morgan, Rapino, uh, Carly Lloyd, different people like that that they've grown up watching. Um, so I wanted to get your take on the on the, the idea of She Believes uh, Cup uh, you know, what do you think of the tremendous success that this tournament has had? And then I know you cover NWSL. How has it impacted young women uh, and girls that are growing up wanting to play soccer and knowing that they can on a professional level? So regarding the She Believes Cup, I mean, I think it's something that um, is really starting to take root. Um, and I think that's good. Uh, there's There's been kind of a a gap in the international calendar, particularly in, in CONCACAF, because they really don't have any competition beyond um, World Cup qualifying and, and Olympic qualifying. And, and so there's just like right. no opportunity for competitive games beyond um, those tournaments and, and the actual tournaments themselves. And so you see the US playing like 50 friendly, not quite 50, but you know, 25 friendly is a year because there really is, they're just kind of pulling their heels the rest of the time. So I think uh, She Believes Cup is is a good, um, you know, tournament in that regard. Obviously it's kind of a friendly competition, but I think they've done a good job in um, inviting uh, different countries, usually really high achieving countries. And I actually like that this time they, you know, they had to um, ask Argentina in a pinch because uh, one of the other teams dropped out, but um, I think it's kind of good for Argentina. You know, they had barely played for like two years um, literally. So, you know, having an opportunity where they can play and, and I think chances are they're going to be overmatched in all three of their games and, you know, they're going to have kind of a a rough go of it, but I think it's good for them because it, it gives them an excuse to actually 
participate um, and for their, more importantly, for their national federation to pay attention to them and actually fund them. So, um, so yeah, in that regard, I think it's good. Uh, I hate the name. I really wish it was called literally anything else, but um, it is what it is. So yeah, uh, you know, she believes I think is, is really starting to build a, a little bit of a tradition and, and that's cool. Um, regarding NWSL, I mean, um, I think you have the best team in the world playing in the United States, as in the US women's national team. Um, it only makes sense that you have a strong league to go with it. Um, those women can't necessarily stay on top forever if, if they don't have a strong uh, professional league to play in. Um, and so, you know, I think it's been really heartening uh, lately to see the growth of, of NWSL in particular. You know, the first two pro leagues uh, for women only lasted uh, three years each. Um, and so getting past that three, three year hump was a really big deal for NWSL. And I believe we're going to into year eight, um, at this point. So, um, it's, it's really exciting. The league is growing. It's had some, uh, bumps over the years for sure. But, um, I think with the expansion teams that are being added, I think with the maturity and the professionalism, uh, increasing in the league overall over time and, and um, the investments being made uh, increasing and, and, and becoming deeper. Um, I think that that only pretends good things moving forward. And beyond that, I think, um, it, you know, you're not just, ha you don't just have a professional league for the purpose of seeding your national team, right? Like that's not the only right. reason it exists. Um, it's also a way for um, great athletes who happen to be women uh, to perform and, and to, to make a living, um, you know, to play at a really high level, to continue to, to play beyond college. Um, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I think one thing that we've, we've sort of seen over time is, um, you know, it's, I think it's really important for girls and, and women to see uh, healthy professional women's sports leagues. Uh, no question about it. Like, of course I'm, I'm thrilled that we're finally going to have a team in LA um, and we're going to be having a team in, in Sacramento as well, which is really exciting. We're getting two California teams next year. Um, but I also think that, you know, there's, there's an appeal for, uh, you know, good, strong professional women's sports for everyone, right? Not just for women and girls. Right. Um, you know, I cover MLS. I follow MLS. I'm a woman, you know, men can follow uh, right. NWL and, and really get into it as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's just part of the sporting landscape. I, I hope that moving forward, it becomes more normal and it's not seen as such a niche. And I think that little by little, we're, you know, we're trying to make some inroads in that and it's going to take some time, but um, I'm excited by what the future holds and um, being a, a little more uh, integral <laughs> part of, of kind of the, the growth of the league, hopefully moving forward. Yeah, Jordan and I were just we recorded our um, U.S. Women's National Team recap of the Canada game. That's what we said. It's the growth of the the game itself in the country, both men's and women's. Because um, for so long, the women's game uh, definitely grew. Um, the men's game, I think that you know, their success in the World Cup was so fun to watch for Americans. It was it was nice to see the game just being played on a level that we compete with the world because we just don't do that in soccer. Um, Speaking to the NWSL, obviously that team's coming in to LA, Angel City, um, and you talk a little bit about um, it briefly in some of your coverage, um, and as they do start to come along, I imagine there'll be more, but 
Um, do you get a sense, like a vibe around the city? What's it like, uh, you know, that the NWSL that is coming there? Um, and, and is it, you know, with the ownership group that they have there, it's just as impressive as um, LAFC itself. Um, can you talk a little bit about the vibes around the city with the team uh, and then kind of where do where are they going from here? Um, what's kind of the next step for this expansion team? Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of excitement around Angel City FC uh, locally. Um, you know, the there, there's long been a demand to have uh, an NWSL team in, in California. Um, I, you know, it's, it's one of the biggest kind of exporters of uh, women's soccer talent, you know, from the country, maybe from the world. So not having a team locally was, was kind of killer for a long time. Um, so people are excited. And I think in a lot of ways, it reminds me of, of kind of the launch of LAFC. You know, like I went into a coffee shop at one point after I went to a LAFC, um, like something promotional around the stadium. You know, I had this like cool folder that they gave me and I plopped it down on you know my table at the coffee shop. And the guy next to me is like, oh my gosh, that's the cool new team. That's so <laughs> awesome. You know, you know, people think that you're like making stuff like that up, but it's not like I was going around being like, "Hey, I'm a soccer." Reporter. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cares, right? Um, but that that was cool to see. I think it's going to be pretty similar um, in that regard. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've seen personally when I talk about NWSL in California, like people are jacked, like they are so excited. Um, so I think it's going to be really fun. Um, and I think that probably the, you know, the attendance, I think people are a little bit um, unsure of what the attendance is going to be like, just because in NWSL, it's, it's hard to gauge market to market kind of where the, the bar should be set. You know, some markets are a little bit more modest than others. And I think that that's, you know, not, not a big deal. It's it's part of the growth of, of everybody. Um, I think it could be pretty cool in LA. And I think the team itself, they're trying to build something that is kind of a phenomenon. And, and, and one of the things that has been really good about NWSL so far has been the Portland Thorns being kind of a standard bearer for the league, right? Like everyone looks to them to sort of see, okay, what are they doing? How are they topping things? You know, what, how can I work towards something like that? I think LAFC or Angel City FC um, is looking at the Thorns and sort of saying, how can we blow that out of the water? Um, in you know ways big and small, and 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 so I think that's good for the league because the more teams that you have at the top that are like really pushing everybody on, then the more that inspires the teams at the bottom to catch up or get out of the way, right? Like you, you know, you you can't just sort of be comfortable in in 2015 era NWSL at this point. You have to really um, be looking to grow um, in in all facets, and I think the good news is most of those clubs are doing that. Um, and again, I don't want to say, you know, I don't want to come here and sound like I'm saying Angel City is going to, you know, revolutionize NWSL and they're going to show everyone how it's done. But I do think that to an extent, they are going to help push the league forward because the statements of intent that they have been doing so far, I think, are really promising overall. And I think there's a really engaged uh, supporter group base that's already formed and and really growing at this point, and and that's good. And they have a, ho a home taken care of for now. Um, they're going to be building out their their team uh, this year, and that's going to be really exciting. And yeah, I think it's it's going to be something that's very cool. And I think um, yeah, I, I I really can't wait. Um, and and you know, 
I think that there's a, a potential that this can be kind of one of those moments where people sort of look at the history of NWSL to an extent, you know, before 2022 and after 2022. Like, I think that it could be that big. Um, obviously, we'll have to see how they perform. You know, if they fall flat on the field, then it's going to be a lot tougher to to make those those um, lofty proclamations. But I, I definitely think there's potential there that they they could do something like that to really help push the league on. I love the name. Too, it's good, you know, yeah. like it, it, you know, I, I know, you know, it ends with FC and such, but, uh, you know, we, MLS recently has been a lot of just, you know, uh, bland uh, names, Charlotte, just being Charlotte FC when they had other options like Charlotte Town or um, Charlotte Crown, I think even was one, but you know, all these other options that they have. And I always thought like I'm based here in Baltimore if we were ever to get a team, I always thought, you know, like Charm City FC or something would be a great name. You know, something that's other than just city name, FC or SC thrown at the end of it. Um, and also NWSL has some of the best kits uh, in uh, jerseys in America. You know, like the Chicago uh, jersey is really nice looking. Um, so it's nice to see NWSL kind of being forward thinking in those respects as well. Yeah, agreed. I, I think that their kits by and large are uh, better than MLS kits. They they have a little more diversity and and I think the teams themselves do a little more. Um, uh, some of the teams give a lot more input as far as design. So I think they actually Nike takes it pretty seriously, which is nice to see. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think um, Angel City is something that you do uh, connect to Los Angeles. It's not something that you're like, what is that? I've, mm, I don't know where that belongs. You know, it's something that you immediately know what it is. Um, and I think that, that yeah, they're going to build that that brand and that um, name recognition. And, and you know, it, I think the idea is over time, what they want to do is they want to be a destination club in the women's game. You know, they, they, they want to be able to appeal to the stars. And I, I think that, you know, the location is good for that. Um, you know, we've seen that already in, in the men's game. And yeah, I mean, I think, again, it could, if they, if they play everything right on, on the field and they, they actually get some results, then um, I think it could be a really, really cool project overall on and off the field. All right. Well, thank you for uh, coming on, Alicia. That wraps up all of our questions today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks. Thanks again for having me on. And that was Alicia Rodriguez from SB Nation covering California sports. Uh, you can follow her, follow her as I just stated uh, before the interview at Soccer Musings, S-O-C-C-E-R-M-U-S-I-N-G-S on Twitter. Logan, what was your biggest takeaway here? Let, let's kind of break it down in different sections here. What was your biggest takeaway on the LAFC side of the interview? Yeah, so I think first off, um, their success in the Champions League, um, she believes that 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 is something that as a club, as they get back to the tournament, as they uh, play in, in this competition more, I think that you will see um, that team compete. I think a team that, and obviously Jordan, you and I talked about this, that a team in the MLS one day will be fighting for that World Cup over there, um, World Cup club. I can't ever say that word. Um, but I, I think it's the Club World Cup, isn't it? Yeah? Yes. That's right. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, the biggest takeaway from that part of it, the very beginning was just that, you know, she, she said they were close. Um, she thinks that, uh, you know, a couple of things go their way. And, and um, we 
talk to her about Vela and them coming back from injury and just the different things they had to struggle with this year. Um, but the, you know, that was a close call to try to get to that final. Um, the next thing was, I, I think one of the biggest things was, um, the depth of defense. I, I think that back line, they add, uh, a couple off season signings and they've shored up a lot of those, those defensive depth issues that they might've had, but they, they weren't very big issues because I, I think that when you look at their roster and their depth chart, you're looking at one of the best defenses as far as depth's concerned. Um, they've, they've got a lot of good players there. Um, and I think that they're going to have a wealth of options, just like they have pretty much everywhere else on the pitch. Um, what did you take away from that? Uh, my favorite question that I ask everybody, what would make <laughs> a successful season for that club? And look, I agree with her. Raising a trophy has got to be what is successful for LAFC. Right. Though, if you're going to be more lenient, some sort of progression in in MLS Cup playoffs would, would be nice. Um Preferably, they'd probably prefer not going up against Seattle at some point. Or maybe they would rather play Seattle and overcome them. You know, it's kind of like when the Ravens Redemption. had to beat the the Patriots uh, after losing to them a few times in the playoffs. You know, like there's always those clubs you got to uh, you gotta get over the hump for sometimes. So uh, that, that stuck out to me because they only really have a few shots at winning a trophy if it's – now I know she said Supporter Shield would be fine again. If I'm a fan – I think you would want uh, some sort of progression from the supporter shield um, because guess who else has won a supporter shield? The Philadelphia, Philadelphia union. union, baby. <laughs> and now, yes, I would take another one. No, no doubt about it, but I want to see forward progress in uh, MLS cup specifically. Uh, of course, I would also take a U.S. Open Cup, or we don't even know who's going to be in that because of the limited number of teams. LAFC may not even be an open cup. Uh, they don't have a shot for Champions League this year because they didn't qualify. So it's going to be, you know, obviously a lot of the pressure would probably be off if they had won that match against Tigres because they would have been yeah. the first MLS team to win a, a, yeah. a, a Champions League. But that didn't happen, even though they were very close. So if I'm a fan of LAFC, uh, I would be disappointed if, you know, if we got a supporter shield and got bounced out first or second round again of the playoffs. Yes. You ultimately have a trophy, but you're looking to build and you need an MLS cup before you start selling some of these players. You know, we, she talked about out to Westa could probably be going at some point. Vela could be going at some point. Diego Rossi could be going at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, those are, you know, three of your very best players. Uh, for me, it's, it, it's absurd they have not signed a better goalkeeper than Vermeer uh, or uh, Sisaniga. Well, they went after that 20-year-old Romero, but he's not going to play. I mean, you sign a 20-year-old for the future. Right. You're not uh, signing it. For a, me, you go out and get an experience. You got yeah. Clint Irwin on right. the Rapids. You know, you can make a deal and probably get Clint Irwin from the Rapids. Who, Zach Steffen's board. Been great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, seriously, though, why didn't they try to grab him after before he left the crew? You know what I'm saying? Like, you could, um, yeah. you could have – obviously, he wanted to go to Europe, so maybe not. But also playing for a big team like LAFC could be, uh, could be another way to get shown off even more. It's not like he's really playing at Manchester City, except for cup games, really. Right. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like they, they 
the fact is that, like she said, they could have two caliber starting goalkeepers or both of them could be below par. Uh, so the fact that that's how it's going is absurd. They have to go out there and get somebody that is uh, a better goalkeeper, I think, because like she said, if not, you're going to have games where maybe it ends 5-3. And, and as we've seen with Liverpool this season over in the Premier League, because we cover that on stoppage time, um, you need the depth. They got the depth at, at defense now. But, you you know, those type of games, uh, or leads even, if we want to try to put it as San Jose and leads, right? If you're constantly just having to rely on outscoring the opponent, it, there's going to be some times where you end up on the wrong side of one of those five threes or th- four threes, you know, three to two type of score lines. That, you know, if you had a world-class goalkeeper, wouldn't be an issue. Yeah, I, you know, they've got such a wealth of options in the in the attack. Now their defense is fine, but <laughs> to put those four fans through something where you could see those five to three matches or the four to three losses or the, and you know, it, you know from experience with Kepa, that's not fun. So um, just the fact that you're right, they didn't go out and sign somebody that was going to truly challenge Vermeer. Um, and possibly take that starting spot because he was off and on. He had disastrous games. I saw a bunch of the highlights where he just looked completely lost at times. Um, but then you just don't go and add any more. Uh, you're going to rely on a Cisniega, like, uh, you know, as a possible starter, a, a question mark. Um, when you know that this league is difficult to defend anyway, you're just adding a hole if these two don't perform well in, the, in, in between the posts. Let's get your thoughts here. What's the biggest takeaway you had on the NWSL side here with the uh, Angel City FC? I think about how excited LA is for their clubs and not, not just the club, but like these two clubs in particular. Something about this ownership group, something about, you know, the fact that you have people from this ownership sit on their ownership uh, boards as well. Um, the fact that they can, and, and LA has always been like this, So let's take, for instance, the Dodgers, the Lakers, the Clippers. The only people going to those games are casual people that really, I mean, they're just not a passionate fan base. Um, And no offense to them, but like, yes, there's passionate Laker fans. Yes, there's passionate LA fans. But you've got a lot of the celebrities that come from New York that are Knicks fans. Um, A lot of them sit courtside because they can um, you just you, you see them. You see the spotlight on them. You don't see the spotlight on the Lakers. Like the, the Staples Center has never been somewhere that it's tough to play in the NBA. Um, same thing in LA. Uh, the Dodgers Stadium is. I mean, if you watch the first three innings, you would think that that they were one of the worst teams in the MLB because half their people can't even get to the stadium. One because of traffic, and two because, I mean, they show up at the third inning and leave in the seventh. I mean. It's never been, you know, the, the, the people that go to those games are not your passionate fans, whereas the difference is LAFC and Angel City have made a concerted effort to go out in the community and, and implore um, that, that they are the club to come watch, the team to come watch, that anybody from any walk of life is represented on their pitch 
in their team, in their organization. And that's something that speaks volumes to the way that that place is run. I mean, they're from top to bottom, it seems flawless, um, which is why I think, and it's going to be a huge draw anyway, it's LA. So you're going to have players like a Zlatan uh, go, hey, LA, you know, the Galaxy or somewhere where I play, or, you know, some of these foreign players that are going to come start coming over here in the LA. Like, for instance, I think Messi or Ronaldo, they come here. I think that's one of the places they look to be going. There or Miami, I think it's it's that lifestyle. It's that expectation that LA is the best city. Now add probably one of the best fan bases in both stadiums. I mean, just unbelievable how much soccer has taken over there. Um, and those communities, the Korean communities, the Mexican communities, the Chinese, uh, you know, the Americans, it, it, it's like a big melting pot, but it's cool because they're represented. Um, and I think with the N, uh, NWSL, I think it's going to be that same way. I think it's going to be people are going to see that they are represented on that pitch, that the ownership cares about them and that they're transparent with them in the process of creating this team. Um, I know, for instance, Jordan, you watched this um, We Are LAFC uh, documentary. Did you think it was cool, uh, you know, the 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 impact and, and all the the, the uh, things that they took from fans before they even got on the pitch? I mean, they had these meetings about it. I don't see what Montreal has to do with this. But I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, it'll be football. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, their old name, the impact. Um, yeah, no, it was really cool, especially like what I really liked about We Are LAFC um, – uh, the documentary on ESPN plus is the fact that, uh, you know, this is the only league you can have that in the sense of an expansion team and seeing that, you know, you don't get expansion teams in other countries because they'd have to start out in the lower leagues and work their way up. But the fact is that they were able to come in to the top flight expansion team. And we got to see kind of some behind the scenes of that. Like you said, the fan input, um, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact is, it's absurd uh, kind of moving back to NWSL here that there's not been a California team. Right. And uh, the fact is that, you know, angel city FC is going to be the first one and that they're also adding Sacramento, like she mentioned, um, which I think was founded this year and is then starting next year. So they have a much faster turnaround time. Right. But I, It'll be fun. I, I think we should cover the NWSL. You know, we say it in our title and, and stuff or in the description. Um, their season's not usually as long. And let me tell you, I'm trying to find a team here. I'm trying to find a team to support because support the pride, would, man. We're good. You would think the Washington Spirit, I get to go to games, right? Because that's the closest, and there's no Philly counterpart, right? It's true. But they split their time between Audi Field, which is DC United Stadium four games there and they're also going to have four games that segra field which is in virginia uh which i am not making a trip all the way down to virginia so if i went to a game it'd only be at one of the four at, at audi field um i again you know like the fact is there's only what one two three four five six seven eight nine ten teams twelve when you add in the two california teams uh i wish it was bigger I, you know I'm glad they're going through their slow growth of the eight years because I remember following those lower, I mean, not lower, the, the other women's leagues that um, uh, folded very quickly, as she mentioned, you know, within three years. So the fact that this one is right. on your number eight is outstanding. And uh, 
there was a few times where it looked like this one might not last. So mm-hmm. the, the fact is that it, it seems to be thriving a bit. Uh, you have Portland, which, you know, again, has just some of the greatest fans uh, and they show up. Right. Um, for everything. They, yeah. They, Cause I mean, what else do they have? They have the trailblazers. Sure. They don't have any football. They don't have any baseball, right. you know? So for them, it's, it's soccer and, and basketball. Um, and they take pride in that which is great. And I'm telling you, if I come down to visit uh, at some point, we should yeah. not only go to an Orlando city game, but I think we should try to get to a pride game. One time well, I was going to say, I get, and you know, what's tickets, really, right? yeah. What's really cool is like, I get, I think it's three free initially and I can add on like a package, like where I get the whole thing. Um, but I think it would, I think it's cool what the MLS has done. Um, and like she said, she said that, you know, it shouldn't be just like you talked about Jordan. It shouldn't be, men can't watch the women's game and women can't watch the men's game. She covers men's sports. She's covered men's soccer for a long time. And, and, and that's what she said. She said, you know, it's not about that. It's not a competition. It's not anything like that. It's about growing the sport here in America. And by doing that, you need the MLS and you need the, you know, men, the national teams and the NWSL, like you need these leagues to help one another grow. And I think MLS is doing a good job. I know a lot of their teams do this thing. So being an Orlando City soccer season ticket holder, they give me matches to go for free to watch Orlando Pride. And Orlando Pride trots out their legends of the game. They've got Marta. They've got Sydney LaRoe. They've got Alex Morgan. They've got Ashlyn Harris. They've got Allie Krieger. I mean, just really good talent from the U.S. Uh, women's national team that I grew up watching um, when they were in the World Cup. And, you know, it's so cool that they're the MLS is reaching out and saying, hey, you know, support them too. this league is up and coming. They've got talent. I mean, this talent is immense here, especially in Orlando. Um, you got killer kits. Their kits are way better than the men's that um, they've got the nice blue and the purple. I, I love that blue, the blue sleeves on the side. Um, and, and I love the name. I, I think it's it's uh, opportune for this city. Um, they take pride in it that, you know, they've got a lot of the Disney cast here. They've got all sorts of different things. It's a magical experience. It also works with the, uh, with the theme of lions. Too, yes. You right. know? So it's, it's, it's such the pride. Wordplay. Right. Yeah, it's, really it's, it's pride in Orlando. It's pride of being city beautiful. It's pride in the Disney magic. It's pride in all sorts of different things that this city is. And I think that that's the biggest thing that uh, LA is going to offer. Like she said, I think if, a team was going to make this league successful. I think it is an LA team. I mean, think how big this city is and how massive that these TV rights will be for them, you know, getting them out there to 27 countries. Um, you know, we can't even get the MLS on ESPN until what, what was the year 2018 or 17 or something. Um to where you could actually view no, they them. were on ESPN. Were they? Like ESPN no, Plus? I meant like, yeah, like actually be able to watch oh, them yeah, yeah. buying Before the Before it was its own thing. Yes. It was called MLS Live, and right. I bought it every right. year that I could. And right. <laughs> yeah, and you I, do – and they didn't even really have like they had a TV app at right. some point, but before that, I had to hook up my computer to an HDMI, <laughs> yeah. right. the old school way, and plug it yeah. into the TV. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have to grow the game by letting it be seen, and by letting it be seen, you got to have tournaments like this. Um, and I agree with her. I don't like the she believes one. I don't like the extra title. I think it's kind of they need to come up with something better. Plus, it, the the she and the beliefs being actually like together bothers me. Like I don't, because being an English teacher, that just bugs me. No space being there. Um, but again, like I said, that th- this is such a huge move for the NWSL. I think the, the, the angel city FC coming in 
and could ultimately put this league on the map so that we can all enjoy this league for what it is. Right. I think the issue with the title as well is like she said, you know, you don't want uh, to make it think that, you know, this is something just for the, for the women either. Right. Know? He uh, believes, that, she it's believes. Not how yeah. You, yeah. It's not how you grow uh, the game. And um, I am, uh, you know, we, we, we're, going to be covering this tournament uh we have a game on uh, a game that just happened on sunday that we don't know the results of because we recorded this ahead of time so we'll probably have uh we'll probably have to release one before wednesday as well with the uh with the result of that brazil game um might be able to do it before the galaxy guy next week yeah um, might, might i'm hoping to, to have it like tuesday or wednesday so maybe you can have it out by then um yeah, and then the last game is on Wednesday already. So I mean, it's it's that quick of a of a tournament. But I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm trying to find some stuff on their shop, but they don't have like any men's uh, jerseys. I don't think they have any jerseys on the site um, that I can find. Maybe because maybe because they're going to release new ones. I don't know, but I can't find uh, any jerseys on nwslshop.com. So take it that as what you will, because I would love to. You know, uh, I, I might try to buy some Washington spirit stuff, like a like a scarf or something. Um, it's cool. I mean, uh, support your local teams, guys. And and speaking of that, let's just talk about this too. You know, we were kind of flirting back and forth with the uh, Maryland Bobcats. I know. on Twitter. <laughs> it wasn't even you. You're the Baltimore Baltimoreanian or whatever they call you. <laughs> Baltimoreans, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that. They should call the team that. But yeah, so uh, they were uh, they released all three of their kits, uh, their jerseys, and they all look good. And uh, they kind of put something out on Twitter uh, on Friday. Yeah. Once they Friday. revealed once they revealed their third kit, uh, asking if they should release them all as a bundle. And uh, I didn't think we would have an answer to that question. It was quick. That quick. It was a few hours later uh, that they put out the link and I was able to, you know, talk my wife into it here. And I just want the listeners to know what I gave up for this. Uh, I gave up that beautiful blue Philadelphia Union jersey to support my local Maryland Bobcats FC. And I got all three kits pre-ordered for hundred and sixty dollars. That's a steal. Flat it is a steal. Steal. It is a steal because listen to this. Uh, how much it would have cost? So with taxes, uh, there was uh, and and free shipping. It was hundred and sixty-nine dollars. Um, if I had the Philadelphia Union jersey, which was out of stock in my size anyway at this point, not shocking. And I'd have to wait for them to restock it, and by then I could probably just get it for my birthday or next Christmas. But anyway, um, I, so I will still get it at some point. Right. Um, but, uh, this, uh, I couldn't pass up this price for these three, because if I got a $90 replica plus tax and shipping, it's probably going to come out $30 short of that $160. (laughs) (laughs) That's how my Pulisic one was. My Pulisic one was like $90 with all these fees came out to 110, $120. So, for me, it was uh, it was a good deal, and I now have three jerseys that went once they arrive, that uh, are from my local Baltimore team. I already told them I'm going to try to go down to the soccer plex, which is where they play, and I'm going to try to catch a game as long as everything's good with COVID and they're allowing people uh, in. But um, 
I'm excited. This is their first year in the NISA, uh, which is third tier of U.S. soccer. So uh, I'm excited to get down there and support them some and, uh, you know, represent Maryland. You know, we don't have that many uh, Maryland teams. There is FC Baltimore as well, but um, I think they're even lower tier, and I'm just not sure where they even play at right now. Yeah, because FC Baltimore Christos, uh, so FC Baltimore merged with Christos. Christos played against DC United at Soccerplex in in uh, the Open Cup. That's I That's think so I told cool. that story on here about yeah, you did. going there with my friend David. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is, uh, you know, there is a Baltimore team called FC Baltimore Christos for people that want to know. Um, when I pull up their roster, it says 2019 though. So I don't know the last time the roster's been updated, but they do have Twitter updating from 27 days ago. So, I mean, I'm not really sure. Yeah. You wonder about some of these lower tier teams. Um, I know, I know that the battery in Charleston, the the USL team, um, they tore down their stadium that they've been in for, I mean, decades at this point, I think since 2000, I think Um, they just posted a picture about them tearing it down. They're actually playing at my college. Uh, where I went, uh, College of Charleston. They're actually playing at their oh, soccer wow. stadium. They've got a really nice soccer uh, stadium at College of Charleston. It sits on the, um, it sits on the water. Um, it's a really beautiful facility. It sits with the baseball field. Um, but again, I, I, I don't think they have plans. I might be wrong, but I don't think they have plans to build a new stadium because it's just become so much money and with all this stuff going on. Yeah, and look, I'm looking at FC Baltimore shop as well. They don't even have jerseys on sale there either. So, I mean, it's uh, you know, I can buy a forty dollar Under Armour long sleeve tee or a thirty four dollar long uh, short shirt, a short sleeve shirt, <laughs> which you know, instead I could buy hundred and sixty dollars worth of three kits, um, which is what I did. So, I lied. Battery are building a new stadium. Good. Okay. Yeah. I, I think, so. I think, I okay. So. I got it. I got it. it. They're combining with the college of Charleston to build a stadium that'll be multi-purposed for them. Uh, ah. And it sits, I mean, it sits in a beautiful area. Jordan will send it or actually, you know what? I could share my screen with you because I'm fancy. Um, I'll share I'll my have screen. To go there too, man. Oh, it, it like, wait till you we'll see do a show right outside the new stadium. Yeah. Oh, that'd be fun. Maybe you can get a press pass. No, um, I'll have to show you uh, if I can unlock my computer because it's it wants me to um, unlock it. But it's a really nice stadium. So it's yeah. on the water. Well, let's wrap up this episode and then uh, we'll do that off yeah. air. Um, any other last thoughts on uh, either of the LAFC or uh, Angel City FC before we head out here? What What is your expectation for this team uh, that seemingly is going to be hopefully healthy to start the season. Um, Cause I, you know, I, I certainly think they're going to be way up higher than seventh place. And I think that's going to come at the expense of teams like Colorado, uh, like we talked <laughs> right. about, you right. know, that they're not going to be able to stay up that high. Um, and that's why I said with Colorado, even going lower and mm-hmm. then making it further in the playoffs might be a better move for them because, you know, you know, LAFC is going to come at uh, with a full force here. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you make a good point. I, and I think that looking at their goals, I mean, they, they've scored the most goals in the Western Conference. It was a matter of shoring up some of that defensive. They needed a better goal differential, I think, essentially, and they needed more depth in the defensive area. Uh, and you're not going to have injuries, hopefully, to the guys like Carlos Vela um, and Achuis. Um, so I think that, you know, having those two 
healthy, God forbid anything happen um, to them injuries wise, I, I think this team is easily one of the best conference, uh, one of the best ones in the conference, just because that, <laughs> that attack, when I was reading through it, I'm going, how do they decide? Uh, they've got five midfielders that could play. They've got this Corey Baird coming in, who I think is serviceable, who I think is just another piece to their depth. I think that, you know, you look at uh, Musafki or however you pronounce that name, um, their striker, and he's, you know, serviceable too. So, you know, and then they talk about maybe in July adding a striker. This team is easily, uh, I think, at the top of the Western Conference, if not number one. Yeah, they need to go out and get Sergio Aguero. Yeah, that, so I, again, I was listening to that podcast and they were talking about realistic signings. And I'm not going to be, I, I, I won't, I, I'm not going to say that they wouldn't sign people like that because I just said that if Messi or Ronaldo ever came to the United States, that might be a team they look forward to. So, no, I, I, I could definitely see like a Diego Costa being like, you know what, I'm just going to go play MLS because nobody else wants me. That would, be, that would be great. That would be great for the league. Oh, that would be awesome. God, he's uh, such a different – He would tear it up, too. He really he's would. such a different animal. Like, Zlatan is Zlatan, and he fit L.A., and I think that the mold of yeah. him – he's like an actor. He he fits that mold, um, that lifestyle. But Diego is, like, the complete uh, opposite, I think. He's very gritty. He's very uh, – uh, he can score probably way better than Zlatan will be able to, but – um, at least create. More. I don't know about that. Uh, Zlatan scored quite a lot. He scored a but... bit, but I, I I feel like Diego would absolutely just destroy this league because he's younger, wouldn't he? He's yeah, probably... so. yeah. Zlatan's like thirty eight years I was old. Gonna say, <laughs> I mean, Zlatan was what? How, how many goals? I don't. You know what? We'll just move on because we'll just forget I ever said that because now I just sound stupid. Diego's thirty two. Okay, so he's thirty two. He's still really young for an MLS player. Zlatan is 39. Do you know how many goals he scored in the MLS? Uh, it, yeah, let me get that real quick because uh, the website for MLS is going to be uh, better than uh, oh. than uh, Wiki oh, yeah. for that. So. Now the LAFC people are throwing – actually, more of being one of the Galaxy people throwing their phones at my laptop. They probably turned my podcast off. I just said Diego Costa is going to be better than Zlatan if he comes over. <laughs> hey, I've got um, confidence in him. Yeah, 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 exactly. You do. Um, it, it really is a shame that Zlatan didn't win anything. His team was just so bad around him. And, and right. there were some people that actually thought that he was going to, you know, um, that the team was going to be better without him, which was uh, not the case. Uh, so in 2019, According to Google stats, I don't know how accurate these are. 31 goals in 31 games and eight assists. And in 2018, 27 matches, 22 goals, six assists. Yeah, I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> He's younger. Like, I give Diego that. I, I would like to see their European stats, but we're not going to get into that because it'll take forever. <laughs> Oh, Zlatan still has more than that, but yeah, I, I figured as much. <laughs> but he's older, so he's got six years. And Diego's had. Diego's been kind of a headache too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I would worry about coming yeah. here. Uh, you know, could Bob handle? I know he's had some big, oh, no. uh, big personalities, but could he? You know, would Diego Costa listen to Bob Bradley? That's what I would wonder. Um, but we'll go ahead and wrap it up because this episode's probably already long with the interview as it is. If you wanted to contact us, you can reach us at 
um stateside show i don't know why i blanked on that i almost said at lafc don't tweet that that's that's (laughs) for the actual lafc team um so uh at stateside show on twitter instagram facebook.com slash stateside show or email us stateside show at gmail.com and we will catch you all next time when we preview well we'll probably have an episode about the second she believes game or the third one depending on how we structure these and then uh we'll we'll be previewing maybe the galaxy later this week get both of the la teams done and we'll catch you next time tomorrow throwing his body in it's gonna fall for ibrahimovic oh come on come on thank you for listening to stoppage time soccer show we hope that you continue to listen to our show as we recap the u.s men's national team americans abroad mls usl this is stateside soccer show presented by stop it's time soccer show have a good one